Welcome to Decoding Healthcare Research, a podcast by Agora Project. Join us as we delve into the behind-the-scenes world of groundbreaking research and the dynamic healthcare industry, interviewing top paper authors, engaging experts on industry-related topics, and exploring medical subjects that affect our daily lives. And now, your host, Dr. E.F. Rain. Welcome to Decoding Healthcare Research. I'm your host, Efrain Riveros, Dr. E.F. Rain. Today, we will be talking about insulin resistance. We are going to talk about an interesting biochemical pathway that involves also the growth hormone and how this is important for health and how it is related to the what we call the westernization of the diet and the lifestyle that uh, we have adopted on the Western world that is having significant impact on our health. So to discuss this, we, we are here with, uh, with Dr. Janssen, Dr. Joseph Janssen is an expert and probably one of the world leaders uh, doing research uh, about this particular topic. So Dr. Uh, Joseph Janssen uh, is an associate professor uh, of the Department of Internal Medicine, Division of Endocrinology at Erasmus Medical Center in, Rotter in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. So welcome, uh, Dr. Janssen. So you also welcome and thank you for these kind words. I, I hope you will enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So we are going to base our discussion on two papers that um, Dr. Janssen published. Both of them are published in the International uh, Journal of Medical Sciences, one of them in 2021, the other one in 2023. So the titles of the papers are related. One of them is Hyperinsulinemia and its Pivotal Role in Aging, Obesity, Type 2 Diabetes, Cardiovascular Disease and Cancer. And the second one is titled The Impact of Westernization of the Insulin IGF-1 Signaling Pathway and the Metabolic Syndrome. Is it time to change? So the, uh, before we start, uh, I, I want you, Dr. Janssen, to give us a little bit of background about your research. Uh, what have you been doing and uh, what is your your contribution to this to this interesting theme? I, I, I've worked from um, 1993 uh, consequently, especially if, if in the first time, first uh, uh, place worked on growth hormone insulin-like O-factor 1 uh, activity. I have uh, studied on that, on growth hormone deficiency, on acromegaly, and especially have also um, have been involved in developing IDF1 bioassays and insulin receptor bioassays and to get better information about the whole system and uh, the last years i have even also more focused on the importance of insulin and insulin resistance in all sorts of diseases as already of course done for many years but i i think that uh, that uh, that that is very interesting a change in, in the way of thinking because always people were focused on this insulin resistance as starting point and probably that is in my opinion not totally correct you should probably start earlier and you should think that hyperinsulinemia is the main factor involved in inducing insulin resistance in many cases not all i will say there's still people who have some genetic uh, induced insulin resistance and also you insulin sensitivity receptor sensitivity is genetically uh, 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 
induced, but but you have individual differences. But the 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 fact that the last six years there is a so enormous amount of obesity and type two diabetes that cannot only due to genetic background because our genes have not so quickly changed the last six years. That's absolutely true. And you mentioned that in your in your paper that uh, the metabolic syndrome and uh, all these ramifications, including diabetes mellitus and probably other disease processes, they have uh, hyperglycemia and insulin at the very center. And uh, even though the, the genes have not changed because the evo evolution-wise, it's impossible for us to adapt so quickly, Everything has to do with lifestyle, or the majority of it. At, and, at um, least, at least a lifestyle above a certain genetic background. Because if you have a certain uh, genetic predisposition, predisposition, yeah. then you will have earlier this sort of problems. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I think, um, and I, and I want to to focus a little bit on the on the role of hyperinsulinemia. But before we go into that. Let's talk about physiology a little bit. So you have been doing a lot of research about the axis uh, that involves insulin, uh, insulin growth factor one or IGF one and growth hormone. Can yes. you illustrate a little bit more about how this axis works and how how is it related to health and disease? Uh, normally, you uh, need well-functioning growth hormone. IDF1 axis, uh, but you should never uh, look to the growth hormone IDF1 axis independent from insulin because insulin plays also an important role in the regulation of uh, a good uh, action of the growth hormone IDF1 uh, axis because you need insulin to have enough growth hormone sensitivity, but also to make IDF1 and also for a good uh, negative feedback from IDF to growth hormone. If that is not there, then you will get enormous problems. And uh, I have, of course, treated uh, many uh, adult patients with growth hormone who had developed uh, of acquired uh, a growth hormone deficiency during their adult life due to in, in most cases due to pituitary tumors and then uh, we uh, i have uh, started i've treated them with growth hormone and then i have also learned how important it is that you should uh, search uh, the balance but also try to normalize the balance which is probably there before they developed growth hormone deficiency yeah, and um, and you mentioned in your paper, and this is yeah. I think central here, that IGF one um, uh, like uh, creates a negative feedback loop for both insulin and growth hormone. Of course, right? of course, and that is that is this, this, uh, and now there's uh, both growth hormone and insulin can stimulate IGF, and in, and in turn, the IGF one will also have negative feedback both not only on the growth hormone secretion, what everybody probably knows, but also it influences also the insulin activity at the insulin receptor. This is a very complex system and this probably uh, uh, developed uh, during evolution because it is very important to regulate all your metabolic uh, uh, 
uh, substrate in, in, in a good way, otherwise you will not survive. Yeah, yep. and uh, and I see that exactly that there is a balance, a very fine balance between insulin and uh, and growth hormone that is mediated by IGF. So let's focus on 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 insulin. So in conditions of hyperinsulinemia that actually has been associated with multiple disease processes, this hyperinsulinemia has traditionally been attributed as uh, as a as a secondary event. Uh, after you develop insulin resistance, but um, you argue that uh, it may be actually the other way around. That hyper, yes. that the hyperinsulinemia is the one that causes insulin yeah, resistance. Yeah, and it's is probably the starting point, and uh, probably and what is uh, what is what was probably not always uh, re realized that overnutrition and uh, especially uh, high calorie intake. Uh, but also certain foods are probably very uh, strong in stimulating the insulin secretion. But uh, you should realize that in clinical practice, as all, all, I have been more than 38 years uh, internist, uh, we, we, we only measure insulin levels in blood when we are uh, looking to patients with have developed hypoglycemia and not... Uh, in the, in the normal and epidemiologic studies, there's also look to insulin levels, but as they, they taken often one sample of blood, and that is that is a weak point in all these sort of things. Yeah. Yeah. So and uh, and this is a, a true paradigm shift because uh, if we think of hyperinsulinemia as the primary problem. Probably the therapeutic interventions should focus on restoring the balance between insulin and uh, and growth hormone and um, and that's actually uh, a big a huge contribution contribution to the understanding of what is going on with metabolic syndrome and diabetes mellitus um, i want to i want to move on and um, and talk about the what now we we say that hyperinsulinemia is important so what is the definition of hyperinsulinemia that's the first question and the second question is we know that insulin is not constantly produced, but is produced by okay. pulses. So please, please yeah. tell us a little bit. I, I, I will, I, I will further uh, comment on that. First of all, this, uh, what is hyperinsulinemia? That is uh, uh, very difficult to define because we uh, have, of course, uh, uh, no good clear definition, and most people will especially in epidemiologic studies, use the people who have the above the 90, 90 percentile or above the 75 percentile of the total population are arbitrarily de defined as people with hyperzemia. But that is, of course, yeah, that is that is not physiology, physiology because yeah, normally you have a continuously level and and, and and one of the difficulties is that uh, uh, you should, should um, the insulin is secreted in a pulsatile manner, and if you take only one blood sample at one point, then you can have it can have in a peak of the insulin, you can be in the true of the insulin level, and you can between and. This in when you, to uh, to uh, have a good estimation of the actual insulin levels, you should at least taken uh, 
three samples within five minutes to get a better picture of what is really the insulin secretion at that moment. But that is in practice never done, at least not in epidemiologic studies, but also not in clinical practice. That is that is very unusual. And all the point is then, what, how do you measure insulin? You use insulin immunoassays in most cases. Maybe that will change in the future, but at the moment, the immunoassays are the leading uh, method to measure insulin in the blood. And that uh, has also a weak point because there's, there's no international standard for insulin. There's all labs measure their own insulin levels. You cannot compare that between lab A and lab B. They, have, they can't have the same sample. They will produce probably a total different outcome. This, that is, this is an enormous uh, uh, um, uh, noise in the measurement. Uh, what's also important, I will show you uh, 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 some slides of that. Uh, if it is possible. Um, yes. Yeah, you can you, share the screen. Uh, uh, if you see normally, if you look to the healthy subjects, do you see now the, the yes. slide? There's a healthy subjects, insulin secretion into the circulation is uh, accounts about for uh, the pulsatility accounts for about 75% of uh, the uh, 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 of the insulin secretion during the day. The, the, here, you, the, the, and insulin is also more effective biological if it is delivered in pulses than continuously. But if you look then to patients with impaired glucose tolerance of who have developed type 2 diabetes, there is initially at least a, a lack of pulsatility, as you can see in the lower level, compared to the control subjects. Mm -hmm. and, and, this, 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 that, and that is very important also for the, probably the biological action of insulin in all sorts of circumstances. You hear it is far more continuously at a certain level, while here it is going uh, upwards, downwards. You see this far more uh -huh. uh, informative, you see? Yes, and that, that can make uh, that can make enormous difference uh, in my uh, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah de definitely, and I, and I think it's it's important to 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 point that out that um, uh, the pulsatility of uh, insulin production is something that uh, probably needs to be addressed in 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 research, and uh, if we continue uh, along the same lines of yeah. um, insulin concentration. Uh, most of the papers are, are focusing on uh, an increase in the production of insulin. Of course, but clearance is also important. Yeah, so you can you can also develop hyperinsulinemia not because you have increased insulin secretion by the pancreas, but because the liver does less clear insulin in the first uh, uh, pass, and then you get peripheral, at least after the liver, at the muscle level and at the fat cell level, you get higher insulin levels. So that can be also a, a cause of hyperinsulinemia. And it is, of course, at the moment, not uh, easy to uh, find out in an individual uh, what was the reason of the hyperinsulinemia. Was that uh, uh, decreased hepatic insulin? Clearance was it increased 
insulin production by the pancreas of a boat. Yeah, and uh, and I think it's it's important to to show that actually it's very interesting that you mentioned in the paper that uh, the population of African American uh, patients with obesity actually show a decrease in 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 clearance of insulin, probably related to a mutation. So that uh, opens a new window for for understanding the pathophysiology of uh, metabolic syndrome and diabetes mellitus. So I want to to talk about um, something related, and is um, you mentioned that um, the changes in lifestyle, specifically the westernization of the diet. Um, has a significant impact on the balance between insulin and growth hormone. And you um, use as an example um, a population of immigrants from a, from a place in India who moved to the UK so that you could make the comparisons. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I'll show you this with some uh, some slides, if you like. And, and it's uh, the the the. the what is a very interesting uh, study which has been done by uh, Aidan Heldvies from Manchester. He has, uh, more than 10 years ago, uh, uh, done a very nice study. I will show you within some moments uh, the slides. He has, what they have done, they have compared people who were living in India and Gujarati uh, in Navsari, uh, that's the place where they were living. They have to uh, compared with people which were originally also Gujarati. We were most of them family family members, which have moved to Central UK, and they have then compared them 30 years after these people have moved from India compared to the native population in Gujarati, and they are probably genetically comparable and then they have uh, assessed the food intake in these people and what the interesting point is then that they is the following that the total energy consumption in the migrant in the stippled line was considerably higher you see there was moved to the right and that was not the total energy consumption but what also was uh, move to the right was the total protein intake, as you can see, it's very impressive. And at the same time, you see also the fat intake, the total fat intake was probably, uh, was also considerably and significantly increased. And if you then look to the patients, there's only focus for men, but you can also see this for women, although it was for women less significant, then you see these have comparable age and height of although the height is a little bit higher in the people from uk but what most interesting is the beam i has been changed from 21 to 25 9 there's more than four mm -hmm. points higher in 30 years compared to what it and that has also effects on the waist hip ratio this increased the systolic and diastolic bodies has increased and here you see uh, there is a difference in about almost 1,000 kilocalories per day intake. And that has also important effects, not only on the insulin sensitivity. The insulin sensitivity has decreased in the people from UK, here in the HOMA S percentage. And the, the hyperinsulinemia is more developed in the people from the UK as a consequence 
uh, dus, maar dat is probably just the intake. This have probably initially induced this hyperinsulinemia. And if you look then to the IDF in the, this population, then you see that has also moved to the right. Dus the, the, the change in the food intake and the number of calories has influenced the absolute amount of total IDF you can measure in the population. And that is probably one of the largest problems in, in many uh, uh, countries uh, in the world, especially in these countries which have uh, tried to overtake Western lifestyle. Okay. Yeah, I think th this is very compelling evidence that uh, definitely the, the change in lifestyle, particularly diet, uh, is associated with hyperinsulinemia and the effects that it has. So let's talk about those effects on health. So it's it's clear that uh, if you continue westernizing your lifestyle, you are on your pathway, depending, as you said, on, on genetic predisposition, on your pathway to develop metabolic syndrome and all these diseases. But it's not only that, it has effect on other systemic diseases as it is related to inflammation probably. But uh, one, of, one of the concerns for the majority of people is longevity. Yes. So let's talk, let's talk about the effect of, uh, or the role of IGF-1 and insulin on longevity. Yes, uh, I will also talk. There are many uh, uh, animal models which already suggest for uh, many years that if you have less activity of the GH-IGF-1 axis and less insulin activity that, that influences you uh, uh, longevity, it increases your longevity. And uh, this, this, uh, this shows us also that, uh, at least as you have centenarians in the human situation, they have always, uh, they have often a very good insulin sensitivity and very low insulin levels. And that suggests at least that in this way you can survive longer. And that's probably due to the fact that these people have less oxidative damage due to that they have less food which can induce that they are, um, have a, a, a less uh, a proliferation due to the lower insulin and idf excess activity and that will on the long term probably result in a, a better uh, of a longer life at, at least uh, as long as these people are not harmed by an accident uh, by traffic or something like that but that can still mm -hmm. occur also mm -hmm. if you have this such such uh, advantage and you should also of course have not epidemics with all sort of viral infections but because of course that can also influence but but probably these people are have also uh, are more protected to survive during these situations than people who have no such background. Yeah, and I see that it's it's very clear the evidence backing the the effect of uh, the uh, signaling pathway for insulin and IGF one and. Um, and one of the examples that illustrates this signaling pathway and its effects is something that you mentioned in your paper and is Delaron syndrome. Yes. There is a, a mutation on the receptor of growth hormone that makes uh, IGF-1 insensitive. Yeah. So can you can you expand a little bit more? Yeah, the, the, the others, the, the, of course, the, 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 
subjects with Laron syndrome, the number is very small in the world, but there are some cohorts in, in Israel, but also in Ecuador. And in Ecuador, they have looked to uh, uh, about more than 140 uh, people with uh, Laron, and they have compared the life expectancy with um, the the uh, uh, family members who did not have this uh, genetic background. And what you see is that they develop less diabetes, develop less cancer. Uh, although in, in this Laurent uh, Dwerfs, they don't see an enormous more longer life expectancy compared to the family members. So it's the, but it's really a shift in the risk for cancer and for uh, cardiovascular disease, not uh, because, but, but especially for cancer and for diabetes, that is there. And the, the, that is an important point, yeah? So it's, a, it's like a natural experiment and that's interesting. So we have been talking about the physiology, the pathophysiology when uh, an imbalance between yeah. uh, the two growth hormone and insulin happens. But let's talk about the good news. You can restore your normal, normal function by going back to the hunter-gatherer lifestyle. So uh, if, if, if we decide to, to move away from the Western um, yeah. uh, diet, so what would be the changes and how long do you think it would take for, for it to be restored? That is something that can happen very quickly. You have, of course, um, uh, very recently all this work of uh, Professor Taylor from uh, he's from Newcastle, I think. So he has done this for type two diabetics. He have he has given people uh, doing eight weeks a very low calorie diet, and he can then. Uh, um, let disappear uh, the uh, fatty levels and, and also uh, restore uh, at least uh, so improve the glucose tolerance such that these people no longer need oral anti-diabetics or insulin treatment to have normal glucose levels and that remains uh, uh, with the help of exercise at least for five six years what is now at the moment the the available data that's only done in people with, with a relatively small group 200 people but it shows that 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 exactly works the same is of course that we we know of course also from this bariatric surgery that you can have very quickly improvement of your insulin levels and also from your glucose tolerance by uh, losing uh, uh, weight and, and uh, but the, probably the most important uh, factor is that you get a relatively negative energy balance which restores uh, all the uh, 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 fatty depositions uh, which have been occurred everywhere in the body due the, to the long-term overnutrition. Yeah, and actually the fact that bariatric surgery leads to quick changes is in favor of the idea of hyperinsulinemia to being... Of course, because, because, because the insulin goes already down before the insulin res resistance is totally normalized. So that shows that, 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 the, that the 
exogen nutritional factor is influencing these insulin levels far more than the actual insulin resistance. But of course, if you but but uh, the hyperinsulinemia as such can also induce insulin resistance at the receptor and the post receptor level, and that it takes time to restore from that if you normalize the insulin levels. Yeah, and I think uh, we have been able to to walk through a, a continuum from physiology, pathophysiology, and explain very nicely how the metabolic uh, pathways uh, interact. But the more important thing here is probably that the, that there is a solution to all this. If you change your lifestyle, the, the physiologic changes uh, you of see. Of course, and that is a relatively uh, not so expensive uh, intervention. That is also very important. And you can probably use all over the world it's probably not so difficult to start with uh, uh, as treating all people with very expensive drugs. That is probably not the way we should go. Yeah, correct. And uh, these changes in lifestyle are are important not only from the individual perspective, but also from the public health perspective, because yes. uh, uh, the improvement of health is going to have different ramifications. Of and course. for the healthcare systems, we, there, is a, there is a burden uh, in terms of pharmacological interventions that yes. can be alleviated, right? And, and important is also to start already at a very early stage in life with that. Because we should not first let develop all these problems and then we try to solve them we should try to, to prevent them developing yeah by changing the lifestyles yeah. and yeah. teach our kids uh, to live a healthier life that's uh, definitely a great message to to convey to our audience so uh, i think that way we can we can close by by saying that uh, this has been a very nice summary about these papers and um, and I I enjoyed this conversation because the the way you are approaching the problem is is uh, is is not only important but is is contributing in a different way. So the focusing on hyperinsulinemia is probably easier to intervene than focusing on the on the insulin resistance per se. So I want to to thank you, uh, Dr. Jansen, for for this time for sharing uh, this information with us. And you also thank you very much for inviting me and give the opportunity to, to discuss this problem because it's very important. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And for thank our you. audience, uh, the links to the papers are going to be in the description. And, um, and, and remember, and mm -hmm, go ahead. You can all, all, always email me. Maybe I can give the, my email address, not? Perfect. So, perfect. So, uh, that I will... we can share that. Perfect. That that's perfect. So we can we can we can have that, and we will follow up on your research. And uh, okay. I hope uh, in the future we can talk again to to see the progress. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. yeah bye. bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to give us a thumbs up and share it with your friends and family. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and hit that notification bell so you never miss an episode. If you have any questions or thoughts about today's topic, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to leave your comments down below. For more information and references related to today's discussion, you can find them in the video description below. We appreciate your support and look forward to having you back for our next episode.